Welcome to the Love Reaching Community's Sermon of the Week. For more information pertaining to the life of the church, please visit our website at lrcchurch.co.za. Thank you, Father, for light moments as your children, as we are together. Father, thank you for fun in your presence. Thank you for truth. Thank you for, for the weightiness of your spirit that's with us. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are with us. Thank you for your word. This morning, we ask you to come and anoint and bless your word, Father. That's life-giving. Um, Father, I pray for the ability to speak what you want to say and not what I want to say. Please, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are on his stories. His stories. And this morning, oh, it is my privilege to talk about Joseph. Oh my gosh. I have had so many prophecies about being like Joseph. And I've heard so many messages about Joseph. But I had to go back to, like we said, we're doing what we were taught in, in kids church. You know, Sunday school. And you know, what I was taught there is that Joseph was this, this boy that was favored by his dad and he had this beautiful coat. And I just want to say, Joseph and his amazing Technicolor dream coat, I'm not always sure that's true to the Bible line, the storyline there, just for the musical fans among us. I'm not so sure. Um, so don't, don't reference that in a hurry. But Joseph, I was taught, was an arrogant little boy. Anybody else like that? And that he had to be taught a lesson. And, and it took years for him to learn this lesson in humility until he could do what God wanted him to do. Uh, that's what I believed. Believed he was favored by his dad. He was betrayed and rejected by his brothers in the worst possible way. Thrown in a pit, sold. Oh, can the reality of this just sink in that? Imagine Grace and Levi decide to sell Jude. Guys, this is criminal. He then goes and he gets sold again. He lives in one of the, the great generals of Egypt at the time in his house. And he, he does well. And one would think, ha, ah, it's looking up for our friend Joseph. But nah, unfortunately not. He gets thrown in jail. And he goes well in jail. <laughs> And then he, it's actually suspenseful like a good series, you know. There's just hope. He prophesies and uh, he, he interprets a dream and, and these people say, we will remember you. And he says, please remember me. And we're like, he's going to get out. But no, nah. he's stuck in jail. And then two years later, he gets out of jail. And then things start looking. My scriptures for this morning is Genesis 37 verse 2. Heading is simple. These are the generations of Jacob. And, and immediately it mentions our, our, um, 
our main character. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pastoring the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpha, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now, I was taught this portion was Joseph overstepping a line. He goes and tattletales on his brothers. Anybody else taught like that? And that's why they got so angry with him that they had to sell him. That is why mom and dad says, do not tattletale. My next scripture, Genesis 41 verse 46. Mentions him again. Joseph was now 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. We're not getting into the portion where his brothers come to buy wheat and provisions from him. We're stopping just before that. We're going to look at what, what happened in the 13 years from when he's a son with his brothers looking after the herds to when he goes into the land of Egypt now commissioned by Pharaoh with a signet ring, the second highest person in one of the most powerful dynasties of all time. 13 years. A lot can happen in 13 years. In 13 years, we moved from Joburg to Durban, from Durban to Cape Town, and we had three children. A lot can happen in 13 years. And a lot did happen to this poor fella. He was favored by his dad. He was rejected by his brothers. He was abused by people. He was used by people. And eventually was respected by people. I've loved journeying this with God. Genesis 37 to, was it 46? 41. I've enjoyed journeying with God because, you know, if you, if you pay attention, he opens our eyes and he lets us see things that we never saw before. And I have to again repent before you guys as a congregation, friends and family, and before God, because I read it with preconceived ideas. I had Joseph in a box. And Father, forgive me. As I read commentary upon commentary, let me, let me tell you the reality check. Let's, let's, let's give some structure. My first point was what I believed about Joseph. Has I, have I made that clear? And I thought he was an arrogant boy, and he had to be taught a harsh les lesson to learn humility. And um, anybody else believe that like me? No? It's just my wife and I. Okay, cool. We're in good company, my babes. Second point is, my, I call it reality check. So I start to read this thing, and I, I realize that Joseph knew unfair circumstances. Captain Obvious, yeah. But it started way before he was sold by his brothers or when he was, was accused by Potiphar's wife. It starts when his father starts favoring him or how we, we read it. It's unfair. 
He's the second youngest child. According to tradition, his father is supposed to give everything to Reuben. 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 The firstborn is supposed to be the, the, the chief of everything. Yet his father, it would seem, builds up this young, second oldest or youngest child of his to a point where everybody is like, Dad, are you nuts? Now, there's a couple of references in the, in the Bible that, that they make. Um, Jacob, Israel, is the dad. And he says, this is my son of my old age. Now, it sounds like Trevor here has just gone and had a child, if you, in our context, say son of my old age. But what it actually meant is that this was the son who was mature before his time. If you go and reference the Hebrew idioms and the, the ways that they would talk about things. So as, as Israel says, Joseph is my son of my old age. It's not because he had him late in life. It's because he's saying this son of mine processes life in a much more mature way than his age should predict. I was old before my time. Who else? I had to grow up quickly. All of a sudden, I had to run a household, and I started thinking about electricity bills when my other friends were thinking about getting drunk at a party. I was worried about food for the next month. Old before our time. That's what it means, son of my old age. Now, the, the poor Joseph didn't pick this. It just happened. That's how God made him. The other thing that happened is this, this, this coat that he has given, some trans or commentaries say that it's not just a, a bright colored coat with like red and greens and psychedelic colors. It might just have been a coat with long sleeves that gave him prominence among the brothers. So it would seem that, that Israel notices in this young boy of 17 that he's got maturity, administrative gifting, and leadership among his brothers. That is why a young child comes back to his dad and says, Dad, the brothers are being naughty. So when we read it and we say, this arrogant child is tittletailing, he's doing what his dad told him to do. Go and check on the brothers. Because later in Genesis, we read again, where it says, Joseph, go to your brothers and, and go and check on them. Again, he sends the second youngest child, not just because he's at home, but because he's, it is his son of old age. And slowly but surely, God, take, God takes me on a journey that starts to change my perspective on young Joseph. And I start to think maybe there was just definitely an arrogance of inexperience and an arrogance of youth, but possibly not a character of arrogance in this young child. It's unfair circumstances, guys. He did not ask to be gifted. He did not ask to have skill. He did not ask for his brother, his fathers to recognize it and say, go and do what you're good at. It would be like, like us saying to Jermaine, play an instrument, you're good at that. And then all the brothers go, let's kill him and throw him in a pit. That's what he was good at. But his father doesn't shape 
the situation and doesn't really shape the arrogance of youth all the time. The brothers. <laughs> we read that all the brothers hated him. Yet when you read it carefully, Reuben says, let's not kill him, throw him in a pit. And then he gets thrown in a pit with no water. And Reuben wanted later to go and, and find his, his little brother and take him out and take him to the brother. Reuben, when they tell him, we have sold him for 20 pieces, Reuben tears his clothes. Tear your clothes, Reuben, tear it. Tears his clothes. My brother, what is my father going to do? They betrayed him. They sold him. Yes, it's bad. He knew unfair circumstances. He was judged by his brothers for being who he was made to be. Let's take the dream. You know that time that in, in Hebrew custom, when you had dreams, it was seen that you, you, were, you were given an oracle. Now, I think you could easily manipulate the situation and just wake up one day and say, Dad, I had a dream last night. You gave me my own camel. And Dad would say, oh, please. There must have been something more here for them to get so upset about this dream. Because it's just a dream. But from early on, there's something different about Joseph. Why do they believe what their impetuous, inexperienced, arrogant youth comes and says to them? What does it matter? I once had a dream I can't tell you guys. But you had had dreams. You dream you fell. You dream you, you, you could fly. You come and tell me that. I don't get upset with you. It's a dream. There must have been something more about young Master Joseph that made them think there could be truth to his dream. He didn't ask for that ability. Later on, he says, only God gives the interpretation of dreams. Later, close to 4140, chapter 40, he says that. So young Joseph must have had an experience of God interpreting dreams through him. It makes logical sense when we think about it that way. So perhaps the caveat that we see here and the, the, the succinct version of what he says, I have this dream, was possibly a little bit longer. And he says, God, God showed me in this dream that this is going to happen. And again, his inexperience of youth makes him bring it out in a context and company where his dad should have said, Joseph, just shush. We can talk about that later. He knew unfair circumstances well. Reality check for me. He was a gifted administrator. A gifted leader. Everywhere you read, you see how he applies himself naturally to bring order in chaos. He, he goes and he does it for his dad. He goes, he does it for Potiphar. 
The scripture in, in, in respect of this, oh, it's beautiful. The master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. Young master Joseph was a, a skilled leader and a skilled administrator. From that time, he made him overseer in the house. And over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. Yet, his brothers hated him because of that. The brothers, they, they would honor custom. So when Reuben stands up against 10 or 9 of the brothers, I don't know if Benjamin would have been there because he might have been too small. So let's say 9 brothers decide they're going to kill Joseph. Reuben comes as the older brother and he says, no, we will not kill him. 9 brothers could have taken Joseph and Reuben. These weren't little pup, little TV game playing brothers. They were Warriors, they were herdsmen, they were strong. Yet they honor custom. Yet when it comes to the custom of our dad has sent our brother to possibly administer check report on us, they don't honor that. Joseph was a skilled administrator and a leader for that. He paid a price. He was accustomed to unfair circumstances. Now, I once went through a season where I was unemployed for 12 months. It was hell. It was one of the hells. <laughs> I think, you know, is it, is it Dante that says there are many hells? What, yeah, it is, hey. That was one of my hells, really. To feel like I couldn't provide for my family, it killed, it killed part of me that God had to come and restore. But he has restored it. Just saying. And people... All over the, the country, friends of ours were praying and sending food and gift packages. Actually, it's a wonderful story. How God provided for us in specific details. But one of the things that one of our friends did is she sent us a recorded preach by a crazy person in Durban. Nutters. But this message was about Joseph and his seasons of confinement. And this message gave me hope in my 12 months of unemployment. So this morning, in honor of that and what God has done and that nutter's person that preached that message and sent it to me, I want to say, victory in a season of confinement, is possible. It might just not look the way that we think it should look. And I wish I didn't have to break that news to you guys. That I could just tell you that seasons of confinement can disappear like this and you will be victorious on the mountain. But guess what? 
13 years of confinement for a boy that didn't ask for it. He turned into a man without the guidance of his dad. In the harshest conditions, he had to turn into a man of wisdom, humility, credibility, integrity. That is the victory in our seasons of confinement. It is not what we get. It is who we become in the presence of God when the seasons confined and restrict and hamper and close in on us. That is victory in a season of confinement. <laughs> our budgets confine us. And restrict us. Our four by four properties that we live in. They confine us and restrict us. For some of us, our cars restrict us. Thank God that we can't go faster than, than what we, we can. For some of us, our, our work situations restrict us. Seasons of confinement. Confinement that, that says there's restriction of movement. We are in good company, guys. And ladies, when guys, I mean gender neutral, guys. We are in good, good company. When it feels like the world is closing in. Open your Bible in Genesis chapter 37 to chapter 41. You are in good, good company. What are you going to do? What are you going to allow God to do? You see, what young Master Joseph found is that God positioned him despite and in spite of the season of confinement. There's an entire message on what he learned at every stage of the season of confinement, this, this 13 years. But, but God says, here you go, Joseph. Because Joseph didn't ask to be who he was. God made him and God placed him with, with Jacob. With Israel. And he positions him in that family as the second last. And God ordains that he will be favored and given a task. And he's positioned in that family unit. God positions us where we are in life. I'm not hearing a lot of amens this morning. Am I not loud enough? God has positioned you and I for the time that we are in. Sorry. For now. He positions us for others. He positions us for ourselves. And most of all, He positions us for His glory. We don't want to know this because, oh my gosh, does it mean God knows that something bad is going to happen to me and He doesn't do anything? In the greatest scheme of eternity, what happens in this spot 
God has already seen and he's got us. The second thing that God does is he protects young Master Joseph, doesn't he? I wonder. I'm a sissy, guys. I, 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 I didn't do conscription. And I think if my brothers, okay, I don't have, but I've got friends like brothers. If they had to gang up on me and throw me in a pit, I would just say, Father, take my life. Just the scratches all the way down, falling and trying to claw myself out. My nails breaking, my fingers with, with blood. I would just say, Lord, no, take me. Into thy hands I surrender myself. Before they can even sell me to Ishmaelites, because God alone knows what they did to Joseph. He was an attractive young man. We don't know. And I would be sold and I would say, oh, Father, why are you not killing me? Is there no sharp instrument that I can? And Joseph lives. And Joseph is sold to Potiphar. He's never been a slave, guys. He was the brother that stayed at home, who did the accounts possibly for dad and helped out with this and checking on the brothers and coming back and said, Dad, you know what they did? They are breaking the rules. Now all of a sudden, Joseph, there's a house to be cleaned. I'm pretty sure Joseph thought once or twice, but there are slaves that will do that. He, he came from money, guys. And all of a sudden, this young man, I'm sure wants to die, but he cannot die. And then everything goes well. And this lady comes, a real cougar after him. And she destroys what he has. And he says, Father, please, can I just die already? But he lives. And the favor that he gets, he doesn't get thrown in the worst of the worst prisons. He gets put in the place where Pharaoh sends his, his prisoners. And some of those prisoners would be just like, Detainment, you know, like you spoke poorly to the Pharaoh, you go and sit in that jail for a week. And that's what happens with the cupbearer and the, the baker. And I'm sure he's like, I'm not accustomed to eating from a bowl. And I was just got used to it, then I wasn't used to it in my, my master's house, and now I have to get used to it. Can I please just die? But he lives. God protects him. God protects you and I in our circumstances, whether you want to know it or not. I, I had this experience once. I was, well, Lisa and I got married. I was in Ranfontein. Then we moved to Benoni. I know, massive step up. <clears throat> so we go to Benoni, but I'm still registered to write my exams in Ranfontein. On my way to my exam, accounts three, I stop at Highgate, uh, that intersection there on Main Reef Road, and they try to hijack me. And the taxis start to protect me. And you know what they steal? My pen and my calculator. I I've got shards of glass over me. I drive to the examination center in Ranfontein. I get there. I'm so shaken. The lady says to me, well, I'm, unfortunately, we can't do anything for you. You'll have to write. Here's a cup of black coffee. I failed that thing horribly. 
you try and do accounts three without a calculator. Horribly. Of course, that was the reason. It wasn't my ill preparation. It was the calculator. And I drove home and I said, oh God, why did you let this happen to me on today of all days? Why did you not? And a still small voice said, imagine if you did not pray this morning. There could have been loss of life. Shut me up. God protects us. I want to caution us that we don't step outside of that protection by pursuing our own things. You know, and then the greatest thing of all, the last P that God does, God purposed Joseph to be there for such a time as this. Thank you, Kiki. Purposed. This child didn't just live by chance. Young Master Joseph lived with purpose in mind. Someone is stuck there. But the, the thing that happens here, he isn't just, he doesn't just live by chance because everywhere you read, when he's given the opportunity, he lives with intentionality. You read time after time when his dad says to him, go and check on the brothers. He doesn't just go and check on the brothers. He comes back with a report. I've got a child like that. Send them to go and do something. They come back, not just with like the simple, but with a PowerPoint presentation. He gets given the opportunity to, to be a slave. He doesn't just be a and, and clean here and there. He becomes the best slave. He goes to jail. He doesn't just become an inmate. He becomes the best. I shall be glorious. He he looks after everyone. They, the, the Bible says the, the God, the master of the God, didn't even have to check up on the behavior while Joseph was in charge. Has anybody watched any prison or slave movies? Those people revolt. They come for you when you stand in the food queues with, I think it's called a shift or something made out of a toothbrush. They fight you for your slob. Your, whatever that food is. In the time of Joseph, he doesn't just live and, 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 and perchance, he purposes and he lives with intention and he becomes the best. <laughs> and then what does he do? He gets out and he is given the opportunity to be governor and he saves not only a city, he saves nations. The Egyptians ate because of his plan. The Midianites ate. The Israelites ate. And then greater than that, he doesn't just stay as governor. He oversees the transformation of a small tribe to a massive nation. He lives with purpose. And in our circumstances, 
we say, I wonder why this is happening to me. Could we possibly inquire of God and say, Oh Lord, my God, what is your purpose for me? In conclusion, lessons I've learned from revisiting the life of Joseph. Is it okay if I just read through them? Number one, obedience, even when it's unpopular or counterculture, keep doing it. He was the second youngest child. He wasn't supposed to check up on the older ones, but his father had asked him. He was obedient. Avoid momentary pleasures. <laughs> yeah. Avoid momentary pleasures. Number three, make God evident in your life through your speech and your actions. Every time Joseph got a new task, he would say, but this is, I, I, I believe in God. Do things God's way. Learn to listen and obey to God. Number five, work with what is in your hand. The administration and the leadership skill that he had. So in essence, know yourself. I'm not talking about know yourself like the world says know yourself. I'm talking about that knowing where you've gone before God, the great designer of who you are, and said, Lord, who am I? What am I? What have you given me? Number six, and this is a big one for where we are in the world. Do not see sin as merely a forgivable offense. Be pursuant of his pleasure. And not to belabor this thing, but he says to this attractive woman that is coming for him, and he could easily have given into the momentary pleasure because she would have covered it up. She wanted it. Nobody would have known. And he says, I shall not sin against my master and I shall not sin against God. Number seven, know that God is with you. Number eight, take charge. <laughs> it's easy for choleric A-type personalities. <laughs> we just take charge. Is there a situation? Let's manage it. No problem. We've got you. Take charge. But more than that, the circumstances cannot control you. Not who you are. Take charge and say, under God, I shall stand. Circumstances might not always be within your control. I get that but they do not have to control your attitude and your mind 
and your belief and your faith and your hope. Number nine, honor God in all times. You know, this little arrogant boy that we see at 17 years that come in the wrong context and wrong company, talk of this dream of people bowing before him, comes back. And when he is confronted with the interpreting the dreams of the baker and the cupbearer, he says, all interpretation belongs to God. He, he, he must have had the gift of interpreting dreams. And he honors God as the one who gives. He goes before Pharaoh and he says to Pharaoh, only God will give you the interpretation, not man. Honor God in all that you do. He could have taken the moment and walked out of there and rushed back to his house and said, dad, I'm here. Because his father missed him and he missed his dad. It was his brothers that betrayed him. But he chooses to stay and honor God. Learn not to rely on people, but trust in God. Number 11, it's a hard one for me, but avoid self-pity, at least for two years. He says to this man, I've given you such good news. Would it kill you to remember me when you get out there? I'm sure the guy said, of course. I'll be back here tomorrow with a cup of the best wine that I can steal from Pharaoh's house. Just for you, my good friend. For two years, he's forgotten. I would have sat at my little chair saying, oh my goodness, he's forgotten about Kate for the second day. I'm not worthy. Why doesn't he remember me? I gave him his dream. Avoided for at least two years. I think after two years, you just stop self-pitying yourself altogether. Number 12, step out in faith and continue. Because he's interpreted the dreams. He gets knocked down by his brothers and his family. He gets a character assassinated. He goes and interprets dreams for two friends that's supposed to help him. They forget about him. Now he has to do it again. I'm sure I would have said, stuff that. Interpret your own dreams. I know what it says, but I won't tell you. But he steps out in faith and he says, God will give me the interpretation. He brings the interpretation and he continues. He follows through steadfastly. Number 13. Be faithful in your season of confinement. It will end one day. The reality is, young Master Joseph's season of confinement didn't really end, did it? Because then he became the governor of Egypt. And all of a sudden, the, faith of, the fate of nations rested upon his shoulder. I want to talk about, you want to talk about a season of confinement. Talk about that responsibility when it rests squarely on your shoulders. Our season of confinement on earth, though it might be good, or let's say worse or better than worse, bordering on good, will one day end when we see our king high and lifted up and we get to bow before him and adore him and, and pour out praises upon praises upon praises. 
when there's no more restriction in life in doing what we were created to do, give glory to the one who is worthy, then our season of confinement ends. Up until then, learn from chapters 37 to 41 when you feel excessively confined. Learn to live positioned by Him, protected by Him, and purposed by Him. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for what You have given us. It's not just a book. It's living and it's active. I thank You, Father, for the revelation that You have given me, the encouragement that You've given me, Father, the, the, the correction that You have given me, Lord. I pray that this will be a symbol of of the life of Joseph in our lives, Lord. May we learn lessons and may we learn to be diligent in you in all things, in all seasons. I pray, Father, that you will settle hearts when they are when they are wrestling with the reality of circumstances, Father. Lord, I pray that in this moment, people will invite you in so that you can come and bring them peace and rest and calm despite circumstances. I pray for a voice that whispers to them. It says they are enough and that you have them. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you said that you will always come and empower us for what needs to be done. May we be a people empowered by the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome to the Love Reaching Community's Sermon of the Week. For more information pertaining to the life of the church, please visit our website at lrcchurch.co.za.